This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this great Lake nation. Um, I am excited today to have uh, a couple of my friends from, well, I guess Dan's always on here, but uh, a couple of people from the uh, Executive Academy. And uh, I'll start with Dan. Dan, come on in. Hey, good morning. I, I was introduced to you. Good like, afternoon, good afternoon, whatever, I guess you're, you, you say good morning, good afternoon, whatever, where you're at. So uh, good morning to you. Good afternoon to everybody else. I, I was introduced to you like you've never been on the show before. Like this. Well, I mean, you know, I'm used to not being counted. It's fine. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, you know, we have Jesse with us, Dr. Jesse Sparrow is with us today. And he not only is he an emergency manager um, at an airport, which we're really going to be discussing, he's also a fellow executive academy grad from our cohort. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be here. Appreciate the invite. Oh, and happy new year. Yeah, happy, happy new year. Before we get started, I want to just for all the listeners out there and then for the viewers, for the viewers, Todd is very proud that he uh, reorganized the back of his uh, backdrop there. (laughs) Uh, So if you're watching, just take take note of that. And if you're listening, Todd reorganized (laughs) the backdrop and he's very excited about it. He's very happy about it. He's very proud. (laughs) Take a note or something like that. You know, reach out to him. Let him know how proud you are of him. I literally almost just spit out my copy on on that one. That would have been terrible. That would have been a really bad. A bad case here. So, well, we're not here to talk about the background. Um, yes, to do some reorganizing, but we're here to talk about um, aviation emergency management, specifically at airports and some of the, the challenges that come uh, from um, from that. And so, um, Jesse, Dan, and I, we all went to the Executive Academy together, like I said before, uh, and that's where we met. Uh, got to got to really get to know Jesse a lot, and a uh, very, very, very talented emergency manager across the board. Uh, but we're happy to have him here to talk about aviation emergency management. So, Jess, how did you get involved with aviation emergency management? Oh, that's a great question. I actually had no intention of getting into the transportation sector as an emergency manager, but I was looking for something different. I was looking to actually transition into something new that was a little bit different. Um, So when I was leaving, I had a bunch of job applications out for positions and was fortunate enough to get lots of job offers. And the one that was really interesting to me was actually the one for the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. And I was kind of turned on to that position by some of my colleagues in Southeast Florida, which I worked at for a number of years in Southeast Florida as an emergency manager. And they said, hey, Jesse, great opportunity. You can build the program up here at FLL. Uh, they need some help, program management, new direction. You know, you'd be a real asset, not only for the airport, but for us in, in Southeast Florida. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about airports. They says, well, it's, it's all about project management anyway. It's, it's, you're an emergency manager, so you can be an emergency manager anywhere. So I said, okay, I'll go ahead and give it a try. And then I did a bunch of research on it, on aviation and transportation sector, and I found it extremely fascinating. And I remember sitting in my job interview with the deputy director of the airport and the director of operations. And they asked me, 
know, Jesse, what do you know about airports? And I said, guys, I got to be honest. I know nothing about airports. What I do know about airports, I learned by watching Die Hard 2. And they <laughs> laughed about that. And then they said, this is the guy for us. And so, no, that's that's the history. So speaking of Die Hard 2, before you got to this job, they had a, a, an event, a significant event there at the airport. Can you discuss a little bit of the lessons learned from that and, and why they moved to emergency management? Yeah. So in on January 5th, 2017, so this is five years ago. We just passed that five-year anniversary. We had an airport shooting. We had an individual get off, a, uh, get off an aircraft, went and got his check bags. He took his check bags into the bathroom, and then he proceeded to load up a firearm and then walked out into the baggage climb area and um, shot about a dozen people, uh, killing a half dozen or so. Uh, very tragic event that occurred it was, it, luckily enough, it was over very quickly. Within 30 seconds, law enforcement was there. They detained the, the, the individual and has since been prosecuted since then. But they realized with that incident, as well as other cascading events that we've been seeing in Southeast Florida, that emergency management really needs to be here at the airport to help support our preparedness, our response recovery mitigation efforts. So they were, they had the uh, the foresight to develop an emergency management program with three FTEs and a budget and uh, a lot of responsibilities. And uh, during that time, there was a, uh, a team that was there before and they were there for I think three years. And then uh, uh, they transitioned to uh, other opportunities. And then I was brought in and was fortunate enough to be lined up with some other really, really good people. I work with uh, Aisha Lindsay. She's actually from airport operations, working communications. She's excellent. Um, and also uh, Kevin Wu, uh, he's the airport manager of emergency management. He spent uh, nearly two decades in air operations, including as the airside operations manager at the airport. So he's extremely knowledgeable. So we're, we all complement each other very, very well. And that's what good emergency management programs and teams have is a good complement of practitioners. Absolutely. Well, you made a, you made a good call. You made a great comment actually. And I want to, I want to touch on that comment. Um, and, and then I want to ask uh, you to justify it. Um, we're kind of throwing you under the bus a little bit, but uh, you said, <laughs> you said, uh, you know, you're an emergency manager. You can be an emergency manager anywhere. And I, I think that's, I think that's an amazing comment. I think it's very, uh, it's very accurate. But I want—I would like you to justify that comment for our audience. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a—that's a good follow-up. I appreciate that. So, as an emergency manager, we're really project managers when it comes down to it. And we're project managers in public safety, and we're we're jack of all trades in many many aspects. If you just look at the mission areas from prevention, preparedness, uh, mitigation, response, recovery. You can be an expert in any one of those, but it's very difficult to be an expert in all of them. In addition, there's so many other facets within that in which you can be very talented and skilled in, as well as be talented and skilled in other areas in prevention and in mitigation and recovery. So as an emergency manager, we spend a lot of time developing or sharpening our knives and tools that are in our toolbox. So from our education, our training and experience, as you build those up over time, you become very confident within those spaces. And if you don't have the answers, you know who has the answers because 
you've been a leader in the industry, you've networked, you've built relationships, you've communicated effectively, and then you know people and people know you, and that's how you can really bring together a good team. So you can take an emergency manager out of um, a cushy job wherever. You can put them in a briar patch out in the middle of nowhere in some prairie jurisdiction, and they're going to find good successes with there. And they may go there and implement some good policies and practice and implement things that uh, the jurisdiction may never have thought of before because they're coming in with an outside perspective. And that's how they can be successful. And I think that my success and the success of our team is, you know, we, we've done a lot of observation from the outside uh, as air operations occurs, as everything happens at a very busy airport. And then we know when to step in and say, hey, these are some areas we should consider doing. Would this be something that could get implemented or has this been uh, brought up before? Hey, there's some new research, some new data, some new information, some new practices. You know, let us try some things and, and get back to you. And luckily we've had a really good administration and management that supported that. And that's how we've been able to find success. So to your point, Dan, if you build up those tools in the toolbox, you can really go anywhere. That's a fantastic you know, explanation, and I want to just elaborate a little bit too because networking is is a huge part of emergency management, and we we are huge networkers in emergency management, but uh, it, we are we are large at influencing, and I, ultimately we are collectors. We are collectors of people. We are collectors of information. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been accused of collecting mentors, uh, so that's <laughs> um, on the show. So uh, you know we are collectors, and we collect. We collect information, we collect skills, and we become very competent in emergency management so we can apply it anywhere. And I'd like to touch on one of the comments that are that are out there by John Ryan, who says, it's all about relationships. And emergency management mm-hmm. truly is all about relationships. It's about networking, mm-hmm. it's about influence, and about leadership. And you nailed it, and I just wanted to touch on that. So follow up on that, Jesse. What, what are the challenges that you have at the airport operation, not operations necessarily, but at airport emergency management compared sure. to emergency management out um, on the street? Well, how much time do we have today? So I don't <laughs> want to run over. Uh, so, so great, great question with that, Todd. So aviation emergency management is, is pretty unique, but in context and in, in totality, it's really just the same as being a municipal emergency manager or a county <laughs> emergency manager. So you just kind of step into a different space and then you apply applicable practices and actions to make that that space safe and resilient. So for example, uh, when I was a, a municipal emergency manager and a county emergency manager, we had to do mitigation plans. We had to do the comprehensive emergency management plan. We had to do various XYZs based off of statutes, mandates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't have those things that you typically see for a county or municipal jurisdiction. What we have is we have a lot of federal regulations and statutes that we have to follow. So the FAA, uh, Federal Aviation Administration, is really like the FEMA for what it is that dictates how we operate our, our program for the airport in general, for operations. But in particular with that, we have what's known as the 139 standard in which uh, it has to do with our airport emergency plan. So the airport emergency plan is much akin to what a comprehensive emergency management plan is for a county or for a city, so that EOP. But at this level, it tells you very specifically in the nine chapters what needs to be written. How do you address uh, physical security, security threats? How do you address severe weather? Uh, How do you address cyber? Uh, 
aviation crashes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's in there and we have to follow very specific guidelines. So as long as we meet those guidelines, we're going to be compliant. And as long as we're compliant, we get that ticket to operate that airport. And that's very important that we do that. But in addition to that, we do have a lot of other plans that we utilize to help support our operations at the airport. So for example, some of the other plans that we have, we have a security plan, we have a stranded passenger plan, a reconstitution plan, which is a lot like a recovery plan, because a big emphasis of airports is to ensure that you can keep it operating all the time because it is a critical infrastructure piece. It also generates a lot of money by the travelers, passengers, and cargo that go through that, and it employs a lot of people. So our airport itself uh, is uh, has an economic impact of approximately $40 billion a year. So that's a lot of money to Southeast Florida. But a couple other plans we have, EOC operations manual, hurricane plans, crisis communication, communicable disease. But if you take Broward County Aviation Department away from that, you can write in Des Moines, Iowa, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, LA on the top of that, and it applies just the same. Absolutely. And we're going to take a quick break, but um, when we come back, I want to talk about like the the jurisdiction that you have. Sure. Everybody, this is going to be a great one, so mark your calendar. One night only on Tuesday, join the Aspiring Emergency Managers Online, AEMO, as they host a live Q&A session with the County of Los Angeles Deputy Director, Leslie Luke. Leslie Luke is the Deputy Director of the County of Los Angeles' Office of Emergency Management and IAEM USA Diversity Committee Chair. This event is hosted by Francis E. Whalen and Isamar Garcia, and if you're interested in attending, register at Eventbrite, and the link is below. Don't miss this one, everybody. Hey, welcome back from that quick break, and uh, do appreciate that. And yeah, check out AEMO's um, uh, stuff that they're doing. They're doing some really exciting stuff, and Leslie Luke is a great guy, very, very talented man, and learn a lot from, from them. Let's bring everybody back into the show. So, <clears throat> I, I, so the other day, I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but in, up in L.A. in Pacoima, um, a Cessna crash landed on a train track. And they got the guy out, the pilot, out of the plane. And just, it was, it was like a movie. Just after they got the guy out of the plane, a train came and hit the hit the plane. I was like, talk about transportation emergency. You know, you get trains, planes, and I guess maybe you get an automobile on that too as well. Yeah. But um, do you guys work on those as well? Like the if it's within, like how far out is does a plane crash impact airport operations? Uh, that, that's a really good question. And to answer a little bit more finitely is it depends if it's inbound or outbound uh, and it depends where it ends up. So ultimately at the end of the day, the responsibility of that aviation is incident is on the air carrier. So they have federal statutes, mandates, laws that dictate their responsibility for that. So, but ultimately what happens in a lot of circumstances is the aviation authority is responsible, well, not responsible. They end up carrying a lot of that load to help support those air carriers, family assistance, family reception, reunification, communi crisis communication, providing uh, the space information intelligence. So there's a lot that we would do to support that. And we call that in aviation that's known 
as an alert three incident. So an alert three is an aviation crash, either inbound or, or outbound. Uh, if a, if a aircraft crashes on airport property, then that would be the responsibility of the EM team that's here and our mutual aid partners that would come to help assist in that operation. So you have command and control, public information and warning. You're going to have uh, probably uh, a lot of other transportation entities to support that because it's going to have clogged roadways. We're going to have to close the airport not close the airport, but we're going to have to divert their air traffic to other airports. So there's a lot of components to that. And how we in emergency management, we work, and this analogy has been used quite a number of times, including by myself, is in, in emergency management, we're a lot like conductors of an orchestra. There's all these players that are coming with these great tools, utensils, whether it be a horn or a cymbal or a kazoo, but also it's a fire engine, it's a, it's a law enforcement officer, it's public works, it's transportation, it's public health. So we're there to help bring some harmony to that incident response to ensure that we can effectively and efficiently respond to that and reduce the overall impact to not only the people, but the responders in the community itself. As I'm a connector, more, more cowbell. More cowbell. More cowbell. <laughs> yeah, I need to play the cowbell, play the kazoo, and then I think we're going to be okay. Um, I wanted to touch on something that re relates to responding to an incident that uh, before we went live, you, you you had touched on, and I would like for, for the audience to be able to hear about the differences and the way ICS is implemented in aviation. Mm -hmm. Sure. So ICS is a, is great. Uh, I love it. I've been a purist for for all of my professional life. Uh, what's great about ICS is you can also apply it to anything and it's malleable, it's flexible, it's based off of the entity, the jurisdiction that would apply these concepts in particular. So in aviation emergency management, we have most, at least at our airport, we have most of those ICS positions that you find on the flop. So your command and general staff, those are mostly the same, but we do have other uh components to that other positions like we have a we have a, a a tenant officer which deals with the tenants at the airport we have a, a, a air carrier we have a welfare officer welfare officer is kind of like a command staff position but they're responsible for the welfare of the employees there at the at the airport if an incident were occur we also have some pretty unique things that don't really work in ics with our particular operation and that has to do with like a planning chief like we have the position that's there but it's really not your traditional planning chief functions that that are, are undertaken so what we're actually going to do is we're going to make some adjustments to that position description as planning section chief and it's really more of a reconstitution chief so we don't do uh, the the IAPs and the situation reports and, and and all those things documentation that you typically see within a planning section. Um, that planning chief doesn't do that. What who does do that is the new position that that we added when I came along, which is the the EOC manager position for an activation. So that position is actually doing a lot of those functions because. In EM, we're trained in the ICS. We're trained in NIMS. We've applied it before. So we're going to be more efficient and effective at, at doing that during an incident or an event. And we like to have that position that was the planning chief 
which is another uh, administrative officer within the the uh, the agency, um, to actually concentrate on that reconstitution of the airport, getting it started, looking to make sure our capital projects, if that's going to impact that long term, how is it going to impact X, Y, Z, so they can focus on those operations and long term circumstances rather than the ICS component. Quick question, just on that is is do you, are you guys aren't looking at 24 operation, right? I mean, when it comes to like a, a, an emergency or is it, or are you looking at 24 hour operations? Like, you know, obviously if we're able like a, like out here, wildland fires, we're on these fires for weeks at a time. Something yep. that happens at the airport is probably a finite time, time box, right? Yeah, typically that's true. And with the incidents, I've been there for two and a half years or so. And, you know, two years of that's been COVID, COVID but aside, for, for, yeah. for, 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 for most circumstances, uh, we're going to be dealing with something that's going to last for a few hours, perhaps a few days, maybe a week, like the active uh, assailant, but still they were able to reconstitute the airport. So, um, Dan and Todd, you guys have both been deployed, responded to disasters. Um, your first operation or first couple operation periods, you're working 24 hours just because you got to get stuff done. But we have it set up where we have an Alpha and Bravo shift. We have people that are staffed and trained on various components. And we keep continually implementing more training, more opportunities, more plans and procedures to help them in the Bravo shift and the Alpha shift for uh, serving their roles in an EOC. So you, you touched on, too, when it comes to... Um when it comes to responding to incidents and how you have different plans that, that would do different things, uh, be, whether it be housing somebody or transport. How do you guys handle family care or family assistance when it comes to emergency situations? Yeah, and the airport, we've had some experience in that. So we've had a couple of incidents that have occurred, whether that be the shooting, there was also a, um, a FedEx crash that happened a number of years ago. Um, uh, no, no fatalities with that. We also had a uh, another aircraft. We actually had a, an aircraft that was taxiing to take off, and the uh, a pilot behind them uh, called up. This is a flight to, I believe, Brazil was leaving, and and called uh, called up on the radio and said, "Hey, you're leaking something out of the back of one of your wing caps," and all of a sudden. It started on fire, burst in the flames. They had to evacuate the the, the aircraft. Um, I think there was over 100 or so passengers that were on it. There was a couple of injuries associated with it, but we had really great response from our airport rescue firefighters. Our ARF personnel responded uh, very quickly and were able to uh, contain uh, the the incident and 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 uh, evacuate the, the people, personnel, passengers that were there. But ultimately what happened, the air operations was not very, the, the airline, um, which is a South American airline, was not very successful in helping to support that family assistance component. And that's, as I said earlier, that's where the airport authority comes in there to help to assist and bridge that gap for them. And ultimately they ensured that there was a appropriate uh, uh, hotel uh, accommodations were made, that communication was made, that they uh, were able to get um, food to help them. They were able to uh, provide translators to help support them uh, while they end up staying there. I think they end up staying in the States for uh, at least another you know, two or three days afterwards before they can get on a flight and get back. But another thing I did want to touch on is 
the 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 airline industry has some really good emergency response and business continuity teams that are out there. All your major airlines have them, have those programs, and most of the other smaller carriers and regional carriers also have personnel that are trained in that. They all come together and support each other in a way that I have never seen before. It's just like two neighboring jurisdictions that have been impacted pretty hard or one very hard by, by an incident and another one hasn't. How those community, those responders go and support them with mutual aid. The airline industry does that as well. And they're very dedicated to helping ensure the safety and support of that, 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 that air carrier, their personnel, those passengers that have been impacted, the family members in which they've either had uh, uh, family or friends uh, be injured or killed in them. It's really quite striking. And, and there's also a lot of good private sector companies that are out there that help support those operations in, as well. I have a, a good friend of mine. Uh, an aviation emergency manager by the name of Barb Webster. She works for a group called Go Crisis. Um, they do these types of services to help support family systems and operations and, and everything that has to do when uh, when these incidents do occur. So my hat's off to them. Uh, I just have a real quick question before we start to wrap up, because I know we want to talk about those books that you had mentioned prior, but um, we are finding more and more that more um, uh, organizations are applying emergency management, hiring emergency management professionals. And we're seeing that, you know, you have in the aviation as far as the whole airport. But how well do you work? Where How, how well are you finding that uh, other individual airlines are either hiring emergency management uh, professionals? And how do you work with them when incidents take place? Uh, we we work very closely. We have um, we have the Florida Airports Council FAC. We also have the American Association of Airport Executives. We have emergency management working groups. We work extremely close with one another. We support each other with our operations, with our exercises, with our incidents. Um, just a couple months on the job when I started back in 2019, I went to the American Association of Airport Executives Emergency Management Conference. It was up in Chicago in the summer. And there was 250 or so attendees. And these people blew my socks away as to how dedicated they were. They, a lot of them were actually not full-time emergency managers. They were ODA, other duties that's assigned in emergency management. But their dedication, their work in aviation was blew me away. And it was one of the best conferences I've ever attended in my life. And I've thrown all my weight behind supporting that and our other partners and carriers that are out there because we're all one team. And I think that's what makes this transportation sector very unique to work in. Absolutely. You know, a couple of comments. Uh, Jesse, you are an idol. That's uh, so, 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 uh, Aisha, Lindsay. She says, Dr. Spurman, you are yeah, such an idol, and we are so honored to have you uh, at Florida FLL. That's, that's awesome. That's a great comment right there. I just wanted to point that out. Um, well, a couple of things here. So you talked about working with the, the airports. You talked about working with the airlines. And when we have uh, air transportation hiccups, right, for instance, uh, a lot of planes were canceled because of COVID. Uh, we have, just the other day, a full stop of aviation flights due to uh, North Korea missile test. How does that impact what you do? Um, on the airport operation side, uh, and do you have plans to deal with people that are stuck at the airport because of things like this? Yeah, we have a stranded passenger plan. We've we've actually implemented in the past with various other incidents that have occurred. We have uh, impact from tropical events, uh, hurricanes, etc. And people get stuck at the airport, so we have to be able to support them. 
So we do have plans in place. We do have kits in which uh, uh, we call comfort kits that we, we give out to them. Kind of like what you see in a shelter. It's got, you know, a toothbrush and some things and uh, toiletries. Um, we provide some, some foods, uh, some water to them as necessary. So we do have those plans in place. And it's kind of just like another jurisdiction that would have an emergency occur and they provide that assistance to them. Ultimately, we want them to be comfortable. We want them to have that experience that is that experience at least be tolerable so that we can get them back to where they're going and reunite them with their, their friends and family. That's awesome. I mean, it is, it, it, I got stuck at the airport due to COVID and then, uh, not that I, I mean, I tell you American airlines, you know, as much as people want to complain about airlines, they did a great job of, of putting us up in hotels and whatnot. But, uh, I can just imagine what it's like during uh, weather when everybody's stuck, not just one airplane mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and what you guys have to deal with that. I, I know that's some people's uh, flight in the nightmares. Hey, well, we're getting here to the end. And I know we talked about this before and, and the question that we ask here now, and we're picking it back up, by the way. And just a big announcement. Um, we are bringing in, um, at the end of the month, uh, we have the the book of the month that we're going to be doing. Uh, we we have, uh, a, well, we'll do more announcements on him. Mark is coming in to help out with this and he's going to be doing reviews. And so we're bringing back that question to all of our participants um, here. What book books or publications are you reading? So Jess, I knew you wanted to have a couple of, uh, you had that pre-planned now because, because you know, what book you're reading right now and what do you recommend? Uh, for me? Well, uh, I'm actually reading a pretty good book. I got actually right here on my desk. Uh, it's called uh, Incident Command Tales from the Hot Seat. And it talks about incident uh, ICS as it's applied to different incidents in different agencies, really across the world, uh, Europe in particular. That one's very interesting. So, but I'm I'm also a, a professor at three really great institutions as well, and I always tell my students that you have to be disaster historians. You have to learn about those emergencies and disasters of the past because that is going to shape your ability to be more effective in the future if something like that were to occur. Mm -hmm. But there's th there's three texts I'll, I'll, I'll provide you real quick that I recommend as reads. And they're historical in their account that it's disasters from way back in the day. So the first one is called Storm of the Century by Willie uh, Dyer. Uh, it's about the 1934 Labor Day hurricane that impacted the Florida Keys, one of the most powerful hurricanes to ever strike the United States. A really interesting account on how it impacted the World War One veterans that were helped working on the overseas highway. It's a tragic story, but a really good read. The second one is called Under a, Under a Flaming Sky by Daniel Brown. It's about the Great Hinkley Fire from uh, 19, uh, 1894 in Minnesota. It ravaged Minnesota, and there was reports of walls of fire being over 200 feet high, and it killed hundreds of hundreds of people and burns thousands of acres. So that's a really good account. And the last one, especially this time of year, now that we're in winter, it's called The Children's Blizzard by David Larkin. It's uh, about the 19 or the 1888 um, um, winter storm that passed through the Great Plains and the Midwest, and it dumped uh, about three feet of snow wow. and end up the temperatures dropped 50 degrees in just about two hours. 500 people wow. were frozen to death in their homes and outside, caught in it. And it talks about this school in which the school teacher had to try to figure out what she was going to do to help those kids to be safe from that storm. Really a harrowing account from an, from an older disaster. I highly recommend. 
Wow, that's that's a great book. Um, and I'm looking forward to to look at that one. That, that's one I haven't heard of before, so I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Jesse, thank you so much for uh, for spending time with us this morning. Uh, I know that you have a lot going on um, over there in, uh, in, in Florida. Uh, stay stay warm. You know, I know it's it's I guess chilly down there, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning, Dan. As always, it's great seeing you, you know, and, and what's going on. And uh, uh, everything, any, any parting words before we let everybody go? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look up Jesse, uh, connect with him online, but also look at, look up Leaders Cafe. Uh, check us out. Go sign up to be a, a member of Leaders Cafe where you can uh, have more access to us. You can learn about leadership. You can uh, learn about understand where leadership training is going to be held. Get some leadership training from us as well. And then connect with other aspiring leaders and emergency management professionals. Absolutely. And don't forget to check out that uh, the webinar that, a, that the aspiring emergency managers online are putting on. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll put more information about that out there. And if you guys have any books or, or anything that you guys are interested in, you know, let, let us know about it because we do have our in-house book editor now and, uh, we'll more about Mark uh, in the, in the future here. Uh, but we'll wait till, uh, till Thursday, uh, the last Thursday of this month and we'll, we'll get more information and you guys will enjoy talking with him. All right, everybody. Thank you again for spending time with us here at EM Weekly. And don't forget, please. Follow us on your favorite podcast player. Uh, and you know what? Actually, go to, to iTunes, if you will, and give us a nice review. Love to have five stars. That would be awesome. Uh, helps us out and, uh, you know, helps Dan with his uh, hairline because mine's already gone and we're trying to save Dan's hairline. And so if you can give us five stars, it'll save Dan's hair. Mine's already gone, so it's, it's too late. And uh, love you all. Take care. Stay safe and stay hydrated. <laughs>